love every time that we get to come together and uh, learn more and fellowship with each other and pray with each other. And like Bob was just saying, if the church realized the power that was in prayer, if the church could come together and pray, boy, they talk about some powerful, powerful stuff. So uh, last week we finished, almost finished, um, the chapter over uh, Word-Filled Man, which had a lot of really, really good stuff in it. Uh, one of the last things that we talked about was uh, goals lived for life beyond the day. And uh, the verse that it gives from Psalms says that a godly man does not put out his money as interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. How important our character is in everything that we do when we represent God in our lives every day. And another thing from last week was when it talked about uh, role models and idols. Of course, the best, the best role model for any of us is Jesus Christ himself. But hopefully our kids are looking up to their fathers because their fathers are imitating their lives after Christ. So their children have a role model to look up to in their father. But that's something that we lack a lot of nowadays. So then finishing up this chapter here and the last two answers on the, on the question sheet, on page 39, it talks about guard the little things. It says it is the little things that seemingly, the seemingly insignificant compromises that can tarnish and neutralize our reputations, and thus our effectiveness for Christ. What's well, one thing Satan likes to get us to do? If he can get us this one time to back off our beliefs just a little bit, or back off our morals just this one time, then our 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 armor starts to crack and we start giving in more and more and more to the wiles of, of Satan, to temptations to different things we start to lose our strength if we don't catch ourselves it's those little things those little things that can get us in such a big mess and then on page 40 says authority do you really obey the laws God placed over your life do we we try we really try but then you see when was it uh, early 2000s I think that they really made a movement on getting rid of the Ten Commandments out of any state or federal building. Um, they took the Ten Commandments monument from in front of our state capitol away. Those are the fundamental laws of God. And not only with that, but then they started, they, they have been for a long time, taking God out of school, taking prayer out of school. Some schools still do it, and God bless those schools. But it's more and more and more being taken away from our society every day. More and more and more, our society is trying to take away God. And that is the most important thing we can hold on to. If you want to look at the moral decay of our, of our society, during this 4th of July shootings, how tragic that was, the, may, the governor of Illinois gets up there and says, I just don't understand where this, where, this, where this evil comes from. Look in the mirror, buddy. Because of your laws and the things you pass and the things you do in these liberalistic states, you let the lawlessness run free. And then you want to stand up and act shocked because something happens. You take God out of everything. You take God away from our kids. You take God out of families. You take families out of being a family and substitute what is not right before God as a family. And you wonder where all the confusion and madness and anger and hostility, everything comes from. It all stems from a lack of God. So the answer to number four from last week Authority is obeying the laws God placed over your life.
And then we move on to page 41, devotion. Now this one, everybody should have input on this one. We don't have a lot here with us tonight, but this is something I know Terry talks about a lot. Pastor talks about almost every Sunday. Do you really feed on the Word of God daily? Do you set aside time just for the Lord? Do you pray with Him? Do you talk with Him, meditate on Him, get into His Word, and read it and feed on it? Or do you just jump up every day, throw on your boots, run to work, and forget about God until Sunday morning? It's so important. We build ourselves, we build our armor, our character, our morals, our values, our beliefs, our faith by diving into the Word of God every day. So the answer number five is devotion. It's feeding on God's Word daily. And then it talks about harming your mind. It talks about the electric babysitter is the electric babysitter that most parents have substituted to their kids worth the price. It talks about how families used to sit around and talk and communicate, maybe read Bible scriptures, pray together. But now families separate themselves in the, in the same house. They're all on their own electronic device or glued to the TV. There's no communication. There's no family bond. There's really much, not much of a family unit anymore. And then it talks about TV propagandizes you. And it lists some things, which I know a lot of people in this church don't even watch TV anymore, which I think is awesome. But it says if you watch godlessness... It will callous you. If you watch sensuality, it will defile you. If you watch violence, it will desensitize you. If you watch evil, it will distance you. If you watch worldliness, it will discourage you. And watch Satan's mind, you will forfeit Christ. So what is shaping your mind? You can't truthfully say that you are committed to Christ unless you are actually pursuing the mind of Christ. God has a will for your mind. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I have to ask, are we doing this? I hope we're doing this. I know those with us here tonight are doing this. But it's the word of God that transforms us, that renews our minds, that feeds us, that we live upon. So it's very important that we keep a constant source of God's word going into us. This is especially important for men it says, pray for wisdom and seek God's direction for how to promote your family's growth in Christ's mind. That it's not about what your will and plan is for your family. It's about God. But the Father has to be the head of the house. And the Father has to be in tune with God in order for this direction in the family to happen. So what are some things that we can do to reverse the loss of this word-filled mind? First thing is stop sinning. Repent. If you know you're sinning, you're convicted of your sinning, then you need to stop sinning. 
Second thing is starve the flesh. Do whatever it takes to starve the evil desires of your flesh and those of your family. Put on the armor of Christ to help resist. And thirdly is to look upon Jesus. Daily, purposeful and planned focus on pleasing the Lord Jesus in all things. Start your day by crying out to Christ for his help. Looking on things above and not on things of this earth. And saturate yourself with the word, like we've already been talking about. Meditate day and night. If you read a devotion in the morning, meditate on that devotion throughout the day. Stay in constant contact. How do we do that? By prayer. Pray without ceasing. But stay wary of sin's power. Stay wary of Satan trying to work in your life, even through those who you trust very dearly. It's been a shock to me since starting in ministry. Sometimes the ones Satan sends along your path to disrupt you. Never trust the flesh. Amen. Yes. So we must not forget. I think you've seen it many times, especially with uh, with pastors of, of prominence. Sometimes they, they lose where they came from. Sometimes they get a big head. They think they're doing good. They couldn't do any wrong for Christ. And sometimes you see that they get humbled. Because I think that they forget who their enemy is. They think that they're bulletproof now because they have a good, strong relationship with Christ. And then Satan is working all the time in the background. Because they lose focus, they lose sight of their enemy. And then it says, make little choices. It says, if you struggle with anything, discipline yourself. Make small choices, little choices in your daily patterns to eliminate the temptations, desires, and other things in your life. And lastly, it says to walk in the Spirit. Let the Word of God fill your life and then pass it on to your family. Walk daily. Pick up your cross daily and walk. So one really important thing for a man, and we go back to the nuclear family, we go back to, we see the destruction of that in our society, we see so many things coming against what God has ordained and God has set in place and we, we see through reading through this chapter the importance of men the importance of a father in a relationship as the head of the household he is the discipliner of the kids he sets the direction the family is going to go he is the one who brings the worship and praise into the house he sets the, the fact that they're going to be a house of God and not a house of the world he helps dictate what they're going to wear what they're going to watch He's only, not only the breadwinner, but he's the spiritual leader of the house also. And it's something that this society has left far and far, far behind. Yes, the protector of the house. Very important, the role that God has put upon man as the head of the house. So that finishes up chapter 3. And we will move into chapter 4. And new handouts for chapter 4 and chapter 5. Not sure if we'll get through chapter 5 tonight. Um, and then next week, pastor starting on the second section. So we might have to finish chapter 5 and then roll into the second section with pastor. But chapter 4 is the world's most beautiful woman. And I love the way he started this out because he read, he was standing in the, in the grocery line and read one of the tabloids there. And it said, the world's most beautiful woman hospitalized. So he quickly whipped out his cell phone and called his wife. Well, I'm glad y'all got that. 
It says, immediately she answered, so he knew that it was false. <laughs> uh, I hope, I really hope that, uh, and it talks about that later in here, but men realize how blessed you are for what God has given you. If I know sometimes we act in the flesh, sometimes we marry the wrong woman, and that happens. But when you know it's of God, like it talks about later in this chapter, it is such a blessing for a woman to be a woman of God and to help build up her husband, lift her husband up, encourage her husband, support her husband. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So then we skip over to uh, page 52. And it, these are things that God looks for in a woman. Number one, he wants her to see that her character is priceless to God. And this comes from Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And this is verse 10. And it says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Rubies were highly valued, priceless. And virtuous, what does virtuous mean? Moral. A moral, virtuous woman. Highly, highly desired. God says in Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The word favor here is the word grace. Choosing to, conf to conform her life around what is valuable to God is a gracious woman in his sight. Second, he wants her husband to trust her completely. And trust is a hard thing. It's a fragile thing. Trust can be broken really, really quick. And not even intentionally. So for a husband and wife to completely trust each other is a value thing, not only to them, but to God also. The heart of a husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. It is by choosing God's goals in his ways that the wife becomes one in whom her husband can place his absolute trust. Because of this, he will have no lack of gain in any realm in his home, his family, his marriage, his private life, or his public life. He can feel safe in every spirit because he has faith in her godly character. Important for a godly woman to be next to a godly man. I think it's even more important in ministry. So... Page 52, the answer to number one is God says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Yep. Treasure. Amen. Yes. Everybody got that? So the third thing. He wants her life devoted to serving. Now this not only goes for women, this goes for all of us. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her husband is greatly blessed because his wife's life is dedicated to serving not only his needs, but also the needs of others. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It is common to think that the greatest thing is being in charge, not serving. The Lord's church holds a totally opposite worldview. 
the greatest jobs in the church are the servant jobs. And that is the answer to question number two. How important it is to have a serving heart, a serving attitude, that you serve husbands, serve their wives, serve their children. Wives serve their husbands as well as wives serve their children. It's a very, very important thing. You see it not only start in the family, but then it echoes in society, throughout the church. Everything that we do, <laughs> everything that we do should show that light that's in us, the spirit that lives within us. And one way that we do that is that we take first precedent to serve others instead of they serve us. Fourth thing, he wants her body focused on ministry. Note that God makes no mention when you read Proverbs 31, verses 13 through 26. God makes no mention of her hair or her skin or how much she weighs or what she wears. All her beauty is described without any outward physical element attached because God focuses on hearts. It is her gifts it is, it is her acts to please the eyes of others. Or is it her acts to please her husband? To be seen by the world or to be known for all of her beauty by her husband? What is more important to a woman? In today's society, I would say it was not as much as what the husband thought, but more about what the world thought. What can they do? How can they dress? Well, how much makeup can they put on? Not to appease their husband, but to appease everyone else. It, it hurts sometimes to see the way women dress in society. And the fact that their parents would even let some of the kids wear what they wear out in public is just, it's kind of horrendous sometimes. But that goes back to what we've been talking about since we started this study. Word. God. It starts in the family. Number five is he wants her hands offered for others. She willingly works with her hands. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spittle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Give her the fruit of her hands. Are your hands devoted for serving others? We talked about this just a minute ago. How much a wife serves her husband, her kids, and then if she has a job, she's serving others in her job. A wife lives a life of servitude. Number six. He wants her arms extended in service. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Her arms are strengthened for serving. A woman serves her family and is often overlooked for the things that she does. Often taken for granted. Even the things such as shopping, preparing a shopping list, going to the grocery store, lugging the groceries from the store to the car, from the car to the house, putting everything up, and then cooking dinner and preparing a meal for her family. She selfishly 
puts her family above herself. Even on things that are so simple and taken for granted as preparing the nightly meal. Number seven, he wants her mouth dispensing godly wisdom. And that goes for men too. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And her mouth is beautiful because it also is used to serve others. Titus 2, 1 through 7 calls us to use our mouths to teach, exhort, and encourage others. When she speaks, it is with wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from above, from the Lord. God says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and in all wisdom. That speaks of the fullness of the Spirit. And when we are full of God's Spirit, what comes out of our mouths? The word of God. Not slander and not gossip. Number eight, he wants her tongue controlled by kindness. And that is the answer to number three. That little three-ounce wonder in your mouth called the tongue must be harnessed because God says it is an unruly evil. The virtuous woman will... Let her speech always be with grace. A woman who uses her tongue for ministry will speak blessings to others. Very powerful tool we have in our mouth. And a gracious woman will use her tool to speak kindness. Number nine is he wants her household to be her priority. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Basically, God is saying in verse 15 that he's measuring this woman by how much she ministers to her family, not by her focus on herself, not by her focus on her career, not by her focus on personal gratification, but honoring her for her making her family her priority. It goes on to say, admonish the young woman to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. How does that relate to a woman's life? For the word of God not to be blasphemed, especially if she calls herself a Christian or says that she goes to church, but then she stands around the office pool and gossips and blabmouths Karen in the cubicle next to her or her boss or whatever else that they can come up with is that the speech or rhetoric that should come from from the believer no and that goes even in all of our lives sometimes it's easy to get you let your tongue start to get away from you and then before you know it God has been blasphemed through your actions and through your words. And that, I tell you, can hurt worse than about anything. To know that you've done not yourself wrong, but to know you've brought a wrong image upon God hurts very bad. So then it says, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproach, reproachfully. It goes along with what we were just talking about. God says, I am the one 
who's passing out the rewards. I'm the one who's passing out the crowns. And if you want to know what I honor, it is not what the world honors. And that goes for all of our lives. Scripture says that, says that this woman has given her household her highest priority. First and foremost, her ministry must be to her husband and then her children because God says that is what is important to him. A woman plays a very important role. The dad is the discipliner, the direction giver, but mom is the one that sees things through. She's the one that maintains when dad's working, when dad's doing everything else, mom's there to enforce everything upon the children, upon the household. She really is. It's really a partnership between the husband and wife. Number 10 is he wants her children to be her sacred trust from God. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Her children are her sacred trust from God. When she invests in them, she receives and reaps a harvest of praise and blessings. Is there anything sweeter than the simplicity and honesty of a child's voice expressing precious words of love and adoration and thanksgiving to their mother? Something I think our kids could do more of. Appreciate how much mom sacrifices for them every day. And question number four is at the bottom of that second paragraph on page 57. The anticipated result of training up your children in the ways of God are that they will continue in faith, love, Holiness with self-control. Something we want for all of our kids. And when I was reading this and making the, the question sheet, I couldn't help but think back on my childhood, what mom and dad tried to instill in me and that I still went my own way. And then our daughter... been a lot of ups and downs had the whole church pray for our family on a Sunday morning one time been attacked hard but more than anything we just pray that we instill enough God in them enough moral and enough value and enough love that they go out and continue in those things it doesn't mean they won't stumble but at least they know what direction to turn to. Training her child by trusting God in faith. Training her children in love with the law of kindness on her tongue. Training her children in holiness by seeking and separating herself into God. Training her children in self-control by being under the control of God's spirit. The last one is super important. Super important. And it goes back to what we were talking about last week in, in, in Word-Filled Man. If you yourself aren't led by the Spirit, how can you set that example for your kids? And then we go over to page 58. And number 11, he wants her family to produce enduring praise. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now the gates, back in this time, the gates is where everything took place. That's where public announcements were made. That's where marriages were, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. What was it? Yes. The gates were the public forum. Um, so that's why it says, and let her own works praise her in the gates. 
And that's not saying that she proclaims her works or that she wants to be recognized by her works or her good deeds or her services or what she does. It's that her works will acknowledge her. Uh, the public will take note of the godly deeds you show and that you have instilled in your family they will take note of those things themselves not without you having to proclaim it or run around trying to see and show what you've done by being a godly person, the world will see it. On page 59, and this is question number five, it says, God does not want our primary focus to be on all of her good works. No matter how wonderful they are, our focus must be upon the reason she was able to accomplish so much. And this is the important part. Her personal consecration and reverential worship of God Almighty. That is what enables her and equips her to do all the good deeds that she was doing. And the same with men. It's not by your own works or by your own hands. It's what, by the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So how important are women, godly women? I know of many examples of some very strong, devout, godly women. Elder Val is another one. They used to be at our church, still listen to our church online, still get to see her from time to time to work on her car. But not only her, there have been many women Sister Pam, who's not with us tonight. Some devout, Bible-believing, Bible-reading, praying warriors that fight for their families, their kids, their grandkids, and are a blessing to the church. And the answer to number five, our focus should not be on the good works of a godly woman, but on the reason... She was able to accomplish so much. And that reason is God in her life. What part? Was God in her life? You think I can buzz through chapter 5 fast, Pastor? Or do you want to wait? We've got a couple minutes left. Okay. So on to chapter 5. Ending well. And it goes through a couple things here before it gets into the story of Mark. And a couple things I want to, I want to talk about. So on page 64, the first question is in the, in the paragraph, the top paragraph. Satan sows discord among the saints and accuses us to God. His goal is always to neutralize God's power through us by doubt, defeat, and despair. And this made me think of our last Wednesday night class, Battlefield of the Mind. These are tactics that Satan uses every day against us. And what gets me sometimes, what frustrates me sometimes when I cry out to God is that I know better. And I should see them coming sometimes, but sometimes I still start to fall for it. But the Holy Spirit will, let, will catch it. Let me catch it. That I can cry out to God for help. I don't care how long you've been doing it, how long you've been a minister, how long you've been in the Word. Satan's Cunning and conniving never ceases. So the answer to number one for chapter five 
was doubt, defeat, and despair. So, I want to read some highlights from this that it's called, Are We Too Busy? And it reminds me a lot of, in 1967, Paul Harvey did a radio broadcast called, If I Was the Devil. Anybody remember that? Anybody see the relevance to every, almost everything that Paul Harvey said in 1967 is played out exactly to that state today? So this, this bit here in his book, I'm not going to read it all, but it plays out kind of a, a lot like Paul Harvey's. So it says, this is Satan making an announcement to, to the demons. It says, Satan called a worldwide convention of demons. In his opening address, he said, we can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles And we can't keep them from forming an intimate relationship with their Savior. Once they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. It says, so let them go to their churches, let them have their covered dish dinners, but steal their time so they don't have time to focus on Him, Jesus. It says, this is what I want you to do. Satan talking... Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. It's like we just talked about earlier. Devotion. That devotion to God's Word, to meditating upon Him every single day. That is our biggest weapon. And the answer to number two, Satan wants to keep us from gaining hold of our Savior. So then it, says, it goes on, keep them busy with the, the non-essentials of life. Overstimulate their minds so they cannot hear God's still, small voice. Encourage them to upgrade their TVs by adding cable so they can have endless distractions and, and temptations. 24-7, in the center of their homes. We saw this in the previous chapter. And again here, it talks about the electronic babysitters. Also, get them online via the World Wide Web, and this is something I can relate to very personally, and if Brother Dan was here, he would too. Get them so entangled in that web that they all, moms, dads, and children, would rather sit alone staring at a screen then sitting together and talking then lure them into the dark corners of the internet where lurk the strongest demons of lust one of the biggest epidemics in this nation and not just this nation but worldwide is pornography it destroys lives it destroys marriages and it's readily accessible and available anyone with a computer or a cell phone. It's another battlefield that parents have to fight and be on top of their game, especially with all the electronics that kids have and carry with them nowadays. The battle never stops. Never, ever, ever. And then it says... Keep skinny, beautiful models on the magazines and TV so their husbands will believe that outward beauty is what is most important. And they'll become dissatisfied with their wives. Keep the wives too tired to love their husbands at night. Give them Santa Claus to distract them from teaching their children about the real meaning of Christmas. Give them an Easter bunny so they won't talk about Christ's resurrection and his power over sin and death. Even in their recreation. Even when you take a vacation. Let it be excessive. 
Have them return from their recreation exhausted. Keep them too busy to go out in nature and reflect on God's creation. I remember Pastor telling me a few times when they get to go to Colorado that he gets to be up there close to God and just meditate alone with God. And also the retreat that was here in Oklahoma, up in the mountain, the retreat that a couple years ago the church got to go on, the church... Lake Eufaula, yeah. Bear, what was it, Bev? Prayer Mountain. Prayer Mountain. Yes, yes. It's important to get alone. To get alone with God and just meditate upon his word. To get close to him. To get away from society and the day-to-day life and just focus on God. The pastor has to every Saturday. Every Saturday is his time to get ready for sermon. And he has to keep the distractions away so that he can focus and meditate upon what God wants him to preach about on Sunday. And it can be hard sometimes. You got grandkids, you got family, you got friends, you got car shows, you got projects, you got a house falling apart, you got everything in the world going on. But you have to make the time and block everything else out to prepare for the next day. God time. We all need God time, whether you're a minister or not. We all need God time every day. Keep them busy, 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 busy. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, have them leave with troubled consciousness, crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Jesus. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family for the good of the cause. It is easy to do. It's very important. Satan will use your good intentions that you want to do everything you can for church and fellow man, and he will let you work yourself to death. And in the end, are you really doing what God wanted you to do, or are you just doing a bunch of good things? It's very easy to get caught up in the whirlwind of, I'm going to go help them, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do everything good I can do. But is it even where God has wanted you to go to begin with? And it's not by our strength or by our merit that we're doing these things. It's because God has called us into doing those particular things, whether it's going out to the homeless, whether it's preaching, whether it's doing a Bible study, whatever it is God's called you to do, you're using his strength. He will equip you to do it. You're not pulling off of yourself to get these things done. But that's exactly what this says. Soon you'll be working yourself to death, working on your own strength, sacrificing your own health, and your family. But if you were doing all along what God had actually called you to do, he would be supplying you with the strength and everything needed to do it. So we'll stop there. We'll pick back up on page 66. Um, And the answer to number three was on 65 says, where do some of the strongest demons lurk? In the dark corners of the internet. Internet. We talked about that, I think think it was me, Pastor, and Terry, I think it was last week or after Sunday service that um, how the internet can can be both very good, but can equally be used for evil just as just as easily you can look up sermons on the internet or you can look up a bunch of stuff you shouldn't so any uh, special prayer lift up Angie Steve Bob yes always brother Bob so good to see him back tonight just uh Really want to encourage our church and church family. There's a lot of attacks from Satan, man. A lot of things amping up. Hearing a lot of a lot of bad stuff, man. Those all those shootings, three shootings, and just on the Fourth of July. Thank God that you're not part of it, but one day you might be part of it, right in the middle of it. And who are we going to lean on? Who are we going to call upon? I hope, 
And I know this church instills Jesus Christ in our lives, that we know when something comes up in life, who to turn to first. First and foremost, always, Jesus Christ. So, uh, is that it? Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word, Father, for all that you give us, Father, you equip us with, Father, your, your armor, Father, your, your Holy Spirit living within us, Father, the light that we, we hopefully shine, Father, in, in whatever circumstance or situation we're in. Father, we pray for your, your strength, Father, in our lives. We pray for healing throughout this church and church family, Father God. We lift them up, Father, to you that you just heal their bodies, touch them, Father. One touch from you, Father, takes away every pain, every every not working properly part of our body, Father God. You can correct and fix and make well everything, Father God. Lift up Steve tomorrow, Father, the surgeon's hands, Father, that they do quick, good, efficient work. Father God, there's no problems, no complications. It's easy and done. Father, we lift up Angie for her pain, her healing, Father. We lift up Bob, Father, for complete, continued complete healing upon his body, Father God. Father, we just lift up anyone, Father, in our church, church family that we don't know about that's needing help, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, Father, whatever it is, Father God, but let's pray for them, lift them up, Father, that you help them, heal them, touch them, Father. We thank you so much, Father, for all that you give us every day for this church, for our pastor. Father, we lift up this nation, Father, our schools. Father, pray for leaders, pray for godly people, pray for godly examples, Father, in every aspect of our society, Father. We just thank you so much for your word, for your son, and in his name we pray, amen.